millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Red Men Weekly Podcast. I'm Steve Hall. Hope you've had a great week so far. Hopefully it was made better by the fact that Liverpool actually won a game of footy, which was boss. Just to let you know straight off the bat, I've got a little deal for you podcast listeners. All these shows that you're about to hear clips from come from Red Men Plus. All of our shows on Redman Plus are available both in video and podcast forms. Obviously, you guys are podcast listeners, so we've got a little deal just for you. If you sign up to redmenplus.com, go over there right now and sign up as a yearly club captain subscriber. That would usually cost you £50 for the entire year. However, on the payment screen, if you use the code weekly, W-E-E-K-L-Y, you can get the yearly subscription for just 25 quid. So half price, absolute bargain for you. You get all these shows each and every week in video and podcast forms, and I'm sure you would enjoy them. Speaking of enjoying ourselves, then, yeah, it was brilliant, brilliant, brilliant to have a final word shot that Liverpool had won a game. Paul Machen, John Reid, Annie and Young were in the studio to discuss the Merseyside derby win, and there's a little clip from that show. That midfield, that was a little concerned because I saw, you know, they went with the same midfield three in um, Idris Agana Gay, Anana, and Andy Corey. And I looked at the physicality and the gnarl of that midfield, and I was like, ah, shit. I was honestly, and it's weird because I haven't said this in a long while, I was a little envious of that midfield when I saw, and I, you know, I saw them together because I was like, they kind of all have a lot of the elements that Liverpool have lacked <clears throat> from their midfield this season, particularly Anana, who he's been a bit up and down, but when he's on his game, we don't we don't really have loads of lads like that. Um but honestly, when you consider what the midfield, you know, Fabinho's been in terrible form. Jordan Henderson's really struggled, certainly post World Cup, something he's even talked about himself. And we've got this eighteen year old kid playing his first ever game as a left of a midfield three. <laughs> that we should have been they should have given us more of a game, but yeah, for Everton it, it just didn't work at all. No, no, it didn't work. And I think, strangely, I think Everton underestimated Liverpool last night. I mm. don't. I think they thought they were coming to play the Liverpool that we've seen the past three months. They were, they were expecting that Liverpool to turn up. And I don't know whether I don't know what's been said during the week. I don't know whether the, the week off has done us good. But like I said, we were up for that game. Jordan Henderson looked like a, a player with something to prove last yeah. night, and he proved it last night. He was he was absolutely brilliant. You could have give five people man of the match last night. But the midfield, as you were, I was concerned when that midfield was announced. I thought, they're going to overrun us there. They're going to out-physical us. But they never did any of that. It's like, it was almost like their midfield didn't turn up last night. I didn't think they were 
good at all last night. Yeah, I um, I, I just I, I we've kind of hinted around them, but I loved so many of our midfield performances, and I, I think there was a real, particularly when you know Thiago's not playing, John, and you know we were walking towards the game, and we said, well, we're doing this back into tag one in, one out kind of stuff Chris referred to as a bit like a wrestling tag team match he had like a bit of a hot tag someone, <laughs> someone drags themselves to the corner and just tags someone else and just as they're about to, to you know to collapse in a heap but actually in fairness we had Jota back Van Dijk back Firmino back all on the bench so there was a real psychological lift there um, and it was I mean Cot made a big decision and I think we've looked at a couple of weeks of stuff now where we've gone maybe he's had enough for Jordan Henderson maybe he's had enough for Fabinho Whereas, actually, what we saw was these players have been running to the ground. Mm. And actually, what we're seeing now is that we're reaping the rewards of taking them out the firing line for a couple of weeks, trying to put something more back into the legs, back into the tank. And I, we'll talk about Fabinho in a second, but Jordan Henderson in particular, because he mentioned, I just thought he was brilliant. I just thought mm. it was that, that was a Jordan Henderson eight performance all day. Yeah, he, he looked more like the player we've seen for sort of the last four or five years, and certainly if you go back sort of maybe pre twenty twenty type thing, pre pre COVID, um, uh, the manager called him a, a one man pressing machine in his post match, which I thought was extremely apt. He was just popping up, popping up everywhere, and sort of you know doing all the sorts of hard yards for everybody and filling the cracks in. And there, there was so many times on that right hand side where he was sort of in the channel, either covering for Salah or covering for Trent, and. Just like if something, if, you know, if a ball sort of, if a pass went awry, he'd sort of pick it up and knit it back together. And even sort of, sort of the bullishness of him sort of around the area. I think you can always, you can always sort of tell if Henderson's playing well by, is he popping up at the edge of the box trying to take shots? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And there was a lot of that last night from, you know, being involved in the attack, as well as doing all sorts of the stuff that we sort of want him in the team for, sort of covering for other players. But, um, you know, real sort of captain's performance. He, he, it wasn't so much that he looked to be energized in the sense of physically. It's just that in his sort of mentality as well. He, he clearly wanted to, you know, put himself about in the game. Mm. I just thought it was the best our right side has functioned all season. Ian. Oh. You know, and I, I, I was looking at the heat maps which I've which I've got, and it allows Trent to be Trent. He gets back and he does the dirty work really well as well. There's a couple of times where he just goes back in and puts a really solid foot in. But Henderson plays a real supportive tissue role. Trent's all the way up and down the right-hand side. Salah gets to come and be, have a real impact in the game as well. And Jordan just ties it all together. He's their pass at all times. It's a, you're not, You've not just got Trent twatting it down the line and then Salah's coming short to get it. If he's doing that... Then Henderson's there for the quick knockoff, and again, when you've got that, you've got you you can build a bridgehead, which means Trent can get up, and he's not being left totally exposed. You're Jordan Henderson getting back in, doing some of the covering as well, and that's the whole thing. You know, Trent had a good game. I thought Mo had one of his better games this season, and um, yeah, I thought it was facilitated by Henderson. Well, let me talk about players being tired as well. We we sometimes forget to talk about how mentally how tired they are mentally as well. The players just made better decisions last night. The amount of the, our decision making this year has been poor at times. Yeah. Sometimes we've sometimes we're just forcing it. Like Trent has been crossing the ball for me far too early this season. He's just been lumping it in when there's been nobody there. Last last night he was coming in when there was no option there, and he was taking a bit more time on the ball, and and that comes from having the making making better decisions, having a bit more time to think. Um, like I said, I think Everton helped us because they gave us more time on the ball. We probably had more all season, I think, last night. But it just, it's just, it was just a better all round performance from us. And 
I think it's also the best we've managed the game all season. At no point did I think we were in danger last night. After that first goal went in, I didn't think we were ever in danger of conceding a goal then. Yeah, I thought it was just sticking with you. I thought it was I thought Fabinho was improved. Um he still feels a little leggy in things. Yeah, yeah. Um but what I saw was the commitment back. He was right at the limits of what I think he was physically capable of doing at times, particularly toward the end of the game. But he was actually still getting on the end of stuff. You know, he was he was being physical again, he was being combative. And that's kind of what I need to see from Fabinho. I don't like a passive Fabinho in the midfield because when he's passive, it gives the rest it gives the opposition too much confidence that they can walk through the middle of the team. I think it helps though that he has too much better performing midfielders with him last night as well. Because mm-hmm. he's had to do a lot more work than what he's should have done over the past two or th- well, definitely the last six months. He's been overworked. He's been having to make decisions he would normally come in. He's been coming in, going for challenges that normally he'd stand off and then let that player come to him. He didn't have to do any of that last night. I'd, listen, to get the Fabinho back from 12, 18, two years ago, it's going to take a lot of work. But if we've just started that process now and we put better players around them and we get better performances around them. We'll get them back because that player is still there. You don't just stop being a very good player, world-class player. It doesn't happen. Yeah. The ability is still there. It's the old uh, form, temporary passes permanent, isn't I, it? I completely agree on that. And I think that was one of the things where I was really encouraged by Klopp's press conference. But we again, the problem was is that he said a lot of the right things lately and then they've not been backed up by the players on the pitch. This was a perfect example of him talking about those kind of things. He was very, very staunch in his defence of Jordan Henderson because that was where lots of the questions were were leading towards. But that point, and it's kind of where my attitude's been in recent weeks of this, John, it's hard because we take it all so personally when Liverpool aren't performing. But these are brilliant footballers. Odds are they were going to recover some semblance of form at some point. I'm glad it was the Merseyside Derby because if they hadn't, I, I I can't imagine... That, I mean, we're already living in the darkest timeline. I think I can't even imagine what kind of <laughs> kind of dystopian sci-fi future it would have yeah. been if we'd lost the derby as well. But we needed Henderson and we needed Fabinho to step up, um, and, I, and I really think they did. did yeah, you, you've got a, uh, you know, it, it's never as bad as what you think, and it's never, you know, it, there's always something you could be doing when things are going great, as they say, um, and you know, those players have done a lot. You know, there's a lot of, uh, I, I think. Just because maybe because of the way the world's gone in terms of like FIFA and whatever, you know, and just, just the general quickening of the pace of modern life. I think people forget the sort of cultural value of having some of these people around. And it's weird that we've all sort of mentioned mentality and sort of like mental restoration in terms of our team. And you could apply that to Everton as well. But having people like him around, just, just his attitude. And, you know, you've seen it sort of when Lana walked out the club and how sort of emotional everyone was in terms of like what he brought to the team and yeah. the dressing room and stuff. You hear a lot of them talk about it, you know, sort of off the pitch in, in, in pre-season and stuff, sort of like people who maybe don't feature as heavily in the team, but who were very important to the dressing room, like Adrian. Um, there's a lot of that and you can't underplay that. You know, Henderson now, I don't know if he has played in the most derbies, but he can't be far off like the all-time derby appearances, if you like, in terms of mm-hmm. playing for Liverpool. Um, so to bring all that back to the pitch and bring that to bear, you know, we know he's how to perform and that he's won everything in the game. He's been in all those big matches. Um, and you know he knows how to marshal a team through things, and that's that's not something that you forget. You know you can lose your form, as sort of being alluded to. You know you can be tired or worn out or whatever, and maybe you can't do it for as long 
you know, in terms of over an extended period in the season. But you're not going to forget all those things that have pulled you through. And he knows all that. He knows all the dark hearts. Um, and I think you got to see it, as you say. I think I think he covered. Uh, I agree with sort of your sentiments around Fabinho that I think he he sort of helped Fabinho through it. I don't want to say he coached him through it because he, he's a senior professional as well. But do you know what I mean. He sort of he, he let him sort of have a six out of ten, but it came off more like an eight. If you know what I mean, like yeah. an eight out of ten. We have to talk about Stefan Bacetic, um, who I I might be my favourite Liverpool player <laughs> at the moment. I might, I might I genuinely watch Stefan Bacetic and I am. Um, I marvel at how good he is. And I thought Jürgen did a good job to kind of try his best to give him the praise that he's due because you want to big these lads up. But at the same time, I'm going to go, okay, well, look, Henderson, Fabinho, and the way everyone played together was the most important thing. But okay, look, even I, who don't like to single out individuals for praise, can say Stefan Pachetis was good. Um, I thought he was I thought he was great, Ian. I just, you know, I think, again, Klopp stressing He's not played that position before. And he, and he, he even said in one of the post-match press conferences, we bought him as a centre-back. He's been playing as the six, and then we moved him into the eight for, for one of the eights for, for, the, for the derby. And he shone in everything you wanted him to. You know, he was, he was quick on the ball. His quickness of thought was, was really evident. The way he moved the ball, the way he moved himself, how committed he was in the tackle as well. I've seen a lot of like the, the I've seen bits of Thiago. I'm seeing bits of Steven Gerrard in there as well. Very early, but at 18 years old, I can't think of many footballers who've gone into that environment and held their own quite in the way that he did. I'm going to name another midfielder now. He reminded me of Genie last night. Genie Van Alden. He was yeah. like the, he was like we've been wanting to replace Genie for two years, and it looked like they done it last night. The way he he did all the ugly stuff as well as the pretty stuff, Genie, and he never got he never he never got the credit for it from a lot of our fans, and that was the stuff that Pachetic was doing last night. He was one solid shot away from getting an assist last night as well. He was just absolutely incredible. You could not you could not if you had never watched a game of football before and you said you'd tell me who's the eighteen year old on that pitch last night. You would not have been able to pick him out. He looked like he'd been playing in that midfield for ten years last night. You'd have been it's the really skinny kid <laughs> on the side. Of the field. Like, but, but no, I take it fucking perfectly. Like he, because um, he does. He doesn't look like he should be able to hold his own in that. And we talked about that Everton midfield. That's a physical Everton midfield. John really is. What I what I loved about it was he had no fear. So he was happy to throw his body on the line in, in certain situations. But actually, again, in how he used the ball. Everton were trying to cut his passing out because he was. You know, we were playing the ball to him in some really tricky situations, and the obvious thing to do is go back or p- pick an ease back or let it run. You know, go go with certain directions. He was like again the Thiago like shuffle where you drop your shoulder and go the opposite direction in the heart of midfield in situations where when you get that wrong, you potentially leave your entire team exposed. But he trusted in himself, and he actually was a bit like going, "No, I'm I'm good enough to." to do this against you and I just thought that was so really admirable I thought in his performance yeah he doesn't I don't know whether you could call it sort of naivety if you like because I don't know if it is that but you know he didn't seem to wear the occasion did he you know what I mean he didn't go in sort of thinking Christ I'm playing a new position or Christ I'm, this is a big match you know in terms of like local you know local pride and stuff he just seemed to play his game and um you know, he he sort of got, uh, you know, again, you've both sort of alluded to it. He sort of got a bit of everything, hasn't he? He's very, you know, uh, the thing I got from him last night was he was very old school. Like, he, I think I feel like if this was 2001 and we were playing a 4 4 2, he'd thrive, you know what I mean? In, in that Stephen Gerrard, young Stephen Gerrard mould. Um, he just brought a bit of everything to it. And he, 
I never got the sense, which is always sort of the thing in these games of being nervous when he had the ball. You know, the, as much as I love him, you know, like there's times when Matip had the ball and even times when Trent had the ball in certain situations, I was like, just get rid of this, just, yeah. just absolutely hoof it down the pitch. And I never got that from him, which I always think is the mark of a confidence with a player, you know, that you, you, you trust him with having the ball at his feet and stuff. And as you, as you sort of said, some, some of the passing as well, it wasn't just as if he was passing a five yards sideways type thing. He was he was playing people in, there was some cross um, cross balls across the pitch and stuff. You know, there, there was a lot of, you know, a, a lot of things that he did that you don't do unless you feel really assured, which I I, I didn't know he'd never played that position. All, all the sort of post-match stuff from the manager of, you know, he's, he bought him to centre-half and stuff was all news to me. So I seeing that from him, I think was brilliant. Nice one, Paul and the boys there. Yeah, isn't it great when Liverpool not only win a game of footy, but also beat Everton. Absolutely fantastic. Let the good times continue. Fingers Cross. Moving on then, later on that very day on redmenplus.com, the Bias Football Podcast was released. It was Paul, it was Chris, it was Dan, and it was me having a good old chat about Pep Guardiola. We chatted about Mikel Arteta. We did the Bell End of the Week Award. We did our begrudging respect of the Week Award. I love the Bias Football Podcast. It lets us talk about other teams, but doing it with, yeah, a rose tinted glasses, Liverpool tinted glasses, if you will. Yeah, here's a clip from that very show. It was a bad weekend for the refs. That Suchek handball is... Save. Good save. It's a good save. Gets Joe Hart never low. would have saved that down no. to his left. He would have had no chance down there. <laughs> no chance down there. Um, that's shocking. Brentford equaliser. It's, the, it's hilarious. Well, it's, it's, it's not the fact... It's much mad I was watching that. I, liked, I was like, okay, they're going back. Okay, that makes sense. Oh, they're drawing the lines on the second one. Oh, that's weird. He'll go back in a minute and draw the line on the, you know, the lad who's offside. And, and just, just never did. On <laughs> the line just, that's clearly just, offside. Just never did. I was like, oh, okay, that, that's fine, I suppose. Spent three minutes on that as well. But it was the other one. They were looking yeah. at the second phase and they just forgot to see. They, they were checking it like Tony was offside or something yeah. for ages. And the lad who was just offside, where you didn't even need a line to see he was offside. Oh, no, it's fine. Fucking Lee Mason. Well, I, I love the fact that they just went, Lee Mason forgot to draw the lines. And most people went, most people who know football went, Fucking Lee Mason. <laughs> 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 went, of course it was yeah, Lee Mason. Of course Mason. it was Lee Mason, right? Everyone crack on with the day. Lee yeah. Mason, he's fucking not, incompetent. Not what we can do here. He's fucking incompetent, so we expect that. Whereas people who don't, like younger fans have gone, well, this is an outrage. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it should be an absolute outrage. It's, but also, you want to look Lee Mason. You want to look, isn't Lee Mason like just a VAR ref now? Or, he, or like he's, he's head of the VAR. Like, yeah, he's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. It, that wasn't the worst VAR decision, though, to be honest. The next one was worse, the, the Brighton one, um, where they drew it off the wrong fella. <laughs> it was the best thing ever. So the lad's on side, and he, you can clearly see it's gay who's playing him on. I was like, why is the. And the line comes from the other defender, and it's just like he's, he's about an inch offside. Is so this, like, do you reckon there's like the Premier League have got something like really bad about to come out, and they've just gone to the refs, just do us a solid here? You know, like how, like again, like in governments, when there was a major, like, like major issue that we really need to get angry about. We need you to fall on your sword. Someone would go and drive to a fucking castle. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, and we'd all be angry about someone driving to a castle instead of like all this, like billions of pounds wasted on, on you know, protective yeah. stuff. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because that's a lot of really, really shit. Obvious refereeing errors in a very short space of time. We probably need to check the Premier League website for any statements. Was there another one on Saturday? Wasn't there another one? 
of the lad who sent um, the Wolves guy off. Yeah, because, because he was the third because, one. Because two players ran towards him and he was the third one. So the Mina was the third person he yeah. ran towards and he him. Second yellow one. Second second yellow. Yellow. And he said to, he said to Ruben Evers, Ruben, why he because he was the third person who ran over. I was like, that why did you put the first two? Like, someone else gets booked for being booked, the third person. Weren't, weren't, it wasn't the second yellow. Yeah, someone got booked the day after, I think. And, it's like, and even his first yellow was soft at best. So it was, the refs are just incompetent. I can't think of a good one anymore. I, I can't think of a good got, one. It, I did think about this, and I know VAR chat generally is like, should it be, should it not be, blah, blah, blah. It's so fucking boring. It's not going anywhere. But it did make me think, like, what was the point, really? Because do you remember saying when it first came out, I said, it will have jumped the shark for me when someone says, oh, they all even themselves out in the end. Mm. Because we fucking had that already. Mm. We had like, oh, you know, they all balance out in the end. You bring in technology to to get decisions right, but if you're then getting them wrong still, then save yourselves a ton of money and a ton of effort and all that shit and just crack on. Yeah. I don't I don't mind sorry because I don't mind that the only thing I, I don't mind about it is that idea of when you can see the goal, there is that like slim chance that you hold on for a minute and it might get chalked off, which I don't mind about the whole VAR mm. experience being on the, when you're on the receiving and yeah. someone's scoring against you. But like one thing I, I I'm gonna play devil's advocate here, and I'll just put it on the record. I fucking hate VAR. I mm. think it's shit, and it shouldn't have been introduced. That's that's out the way. There you go. What I will say is that they have probably got a lot more decisions right than wrong for a start, and there have been loads of goals that would have stood that they haven't. And I think we sometimes focus on the ones they get wrong, and not the hundreds that we've mm. seen, maybe near thousands where the re- where the linesman would have just got it wrong. That's the, the 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 big problem with it. You're right on that, but has it taken away more than that gives us in terms of that joyous moment? Yes, and that, you know what I mean. It's taken away the, the amount of time it takes to sort of get decisions right. Just saps the energy out of football matches. I just so. can't be asked having a race to see uh, like who's first to look for the VAR board or no. the line. I like VAR. In terms of, I like the concept of it, and I think it should exist because I think it's too important. For the contrary. No, no. But let me finish. Let me finish. When they use it, and they can use it. They have given a, a, a foolproof system to fools, and it's not foolproof. You can draw, like the, the UEFA offsides, where it's automatic. Mm. That, in theory, is foolproof. It's going to do your head in sometimes because someone's knee is going to be an inch offside, but it doesn't rely on a fucking incompetent idiot picking the right fella to draw a line off or, shock horror, even deciding to draw the line in the first place. Mm. If you're going to use it, if you're going to use technology, you trust the technology. Why on earth, in a multi-million, even billion-pound industry, are we still relying on a lad to draw a line? And bear in mind, the reason he's in the VR hut is because he's been, he's been, someone's decided he's not going to be on the pitch. So I was, who the fuck decided, you know what, Lee Mason, Lee Mason, he's the guy who decides where to, to do this, draw this line from. Can Mental. I, can I ask a question of the crowd? <laughs> What finger does Lee Mason use to operate his mobile phone? This one is right yeah, index finger, one hundred percent. And this is part of the he's got a flap phone. He's got a flap, and it unflaps, and then it's one finger scrolling. Oh, I had to hide my phone then. Um, <laughs> but also, like, why did he need to be a referee to operate the equipment? Like, surely, yeah, like, like, honest to God, you could get my fucking six-year-old kid to operate the equipment better than them. Mm. Just like you, I could operate the equipment better than my dad. Yeah. And, and a 20-year-old could operate it better than you. Mm. They literally don't need to be a referee to operate the equipment. They just need to understand the rules. The referee could be there to explain the fucking rules to them. But somebody else could Good operate the equipment. Why do you think the suit check one isn't on ball? Two people have decided that it's not it, on ball. It, it was, I think it was on ball for a start, 
but I think the referee said it was his. It was his taking the weight. Hand, yeah. But I get that if you're falling over in a challenge. But he died. If you're diving to save the ball, it's probably handball. Yeah, it's handball. You know what reminds me of that? Did you see Howard Webb after the United Rashford Bruno Fernandez thing? Mm. And he, he said a really interesting but kind of odd. He went, "The game expects that to be given offside, so next time we'll be we'll give it offside." And I was like, "What?" He was like, "Because in theory, you could say." He didn't actually break any offside laws. He didn't go for the ball. He didn't interfere with play. But the game has told us that that should be offside. So we're going to give it offside from now on. I was like, what type of rule book is this? Yeah. He's even the rule. Don't worry about the game. The rules of football will tell you if he's offside or not. He's offside. Yeah, but nobody fucking nobody, nobody knows. Fucking knows I, anymore, that's what it's dude. done. The thing that he has done is it's it's shown how fucking rubbish football's rules are. Mm. The offside rule in general, it's, it's well, never we a good change rule. rules it's, during the season yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. that's the most. Bananas thing. Rules should be photorealism, and what we've got is fucking watercolor paintings. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. Like, right. Let's move it on. Um, All the board. Arsenal. Man City next. Yeah, that's a point from the last two games. They lost to Everton. They drawn with Brentford. No, this, no, not wrong with dropping points to Brentford. Obviously, um, only the good teams do that. Yeah, um, and us. <laughs> This is a this is huge for them because I've I've gone from I I genuinely thought if City were going to catch them or they were going to be caught, then it would have City would have picked up points last weekend mm-hmm. would have would have seized upon that opportunity, um, but here we are, City is still stumbling. I'm, I'm a big fear that Arsenal will just limp to the title because no one else can kind of get a good momentum up. But I don't know. What do we reckon? Do we reckon Arsenal are going to bottle it or? I'm sure it's, I don't know. I think bottle of tarsh. I don't think they're going to win the league. I don't think that's bottle. I think Man City is going to overtake them. Arsenal are going to have a good season, and I don't think it's going to be enough. They're going to run out. Of st- it's interesting. I saw Dan Kennedy. They've only made 14 changes to the team all season. Mm. They've had this level of consistency where they've been really been able to stick with the same team and get on with it and get on with it. it it's starting to feel like there's a little bit of. Not, I don't know if it's fatigue teams maybe figuring a few different things out how to mm. play against Arsenal. They're not get. They're not getting. Sorry, they're getting respect now. We used to think. Don't respect Arsenal, get about them. Now teams are playing them like we respect them. We're happy to a bank of four and we'll play them like we'll play them like a team who deserve a bit of top of the league-ness of about them. Um and ultimately, and this might sound mad, but like their best players are all kids. Mm. And I think at some point relying on young players to get you through an entire season, I think that can be difficult. I think they need one or two lads, and all their experienced lads are their lesser players. You know, it's Granite Jacker and whatever, like, you know, in all right, but not brilliant. Their best players are Saka and Martinelli and Erdegaard. At some point, I, I I do think you need that little bit of experience. He tried to do something in the in the, in the window, didn't he? Went and got Jorginho in the end, like, Sam, whatever. But I, I do think they're going to run out of Thomas Party, Jorginho, Zinchenko. Yeah, but they're, and they're, Jesus, Jesus coming back will be important. If, yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. he's not going to come in and score more goals than Nketi has been scoring. But it's whether he, it's just the, the boost of having him and, and can he improve their you know general level of attack and play yeah. or whatever. But yeah, it, it's that forever until they do it. You'd be mad to think they're definitely gonna do it. Yeah. But if they beat if they beat City, I, I see no reason why they will. It might turn out that Man United are actually the nearest. Rivals, but I don't think the thing is I don't think they're ready for a sustained 
No, I, I'm starting to fear for Arsenal in as much as I possibly can, which is very little, obviously. <laughs> um, I just don't know anymore. I think a few weeks ago, I was starting to think, do you know what? Nothing's stopping them. And then a couple of dodgy results, a couple of dodgy, I think lesser performances, particularly the Everton one, they were miles off it at Everton. I think just you start seeing signs and then you see City do what they did to Villa and just cruise past them and go, oh, we've seen it. We've seen this act before now. And as Liverpool fans, we're very well versed in what happens from here on out. And I don't know. I Remember think when City... we stumbled against Leicester and West Ham? Yes. And City took advantage. Clicked into And I that's think that, that might happen that, now. That, 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 I, feel, I, I feel like that's, that's last weekend. City aren't as good as that City, by the way. No. But... They might not need to be, by the way. Yeah. They might not. That, I don't that. think ours are as good as we ever were in yeah. our title sort of campaign. So I think City could just click into gear and it could be really hurt Arsenal. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think City are that good, to be honest with you. I don't think they're anywhere near as good as, as those teams, no, sort of like what no. you were saying there. I, whether Arsenal will win the title, though, I'm not sure, because a couple of good results, like if they were losses, both of them, I think, you know, they're in real, real issues. But I think just getting that draw at the weekend is probably massive for them. And I think, I think they can limp to it. I do. Yeah. I think they can limp to it. That's, uh, yeah, we're back to that, aren't we? I'm not sure whether what I prefer. As long as as long as United fuck up soon, that'd be great. Um, United are a funny one because I, I don't think they're very good either. But they've got that winning mentality thing going for them, which is mad because United, when they get good, they always have that. Yeah, they've got it. They, very United. Isn't Rashford's it? kind of carrying them through at the minute, and that's a, I said this is the week. It's what Liverpool have lacked. Like Salah's not been carrying us through with his goals. Haaland's been carrying them through. Arsenal have got it more over the place. You know, Saka's in boss form and Ketty's picked up the the, the slack from Jesus. Yeah, Trossard's come in and had an impact. Odegaard's been really good, but we've got we just haven't we're just scoring goals. Yeah. So we look loads worse than we probably are in, in reality. Um, but you're right, it, Weghorst. I'm glad that goal got disallowed. Offside one yeah, the weekend, yeah, like was, because. Yeah. I don't think he's very good either. But if he was just if he just starts to tick on, score mm. a couple of goals, it would add to what they what they're doing. Hopefully, yeah, I like Rashford. I'm kind of I'm, it's kind of funny how they hated him for a while because the, you, apparently you're not allowed to be a good person and a good footballer at the same time. Concentrate on your footy. Yeah, yeah, no, just carry on being a good person and then be good at footy, as it turns out. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Next up, it's Jano Inside Time. Yes, my favourite show. I say that each and every week. It was me. It was Gold.com's Neil Jones. And we asked Neil, or I asked Neil rather, about two players, Mason Mount and Ruben Neves, both being linked with moves to Liverpool uh, in reports this week. So yeah, I got Neil Jones's insight on both of those players. And there's that very clip coming up right now. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Red Men TV. Steve Hall here. And yes, I have just spoken to Gold.com's Neil Jones once again for our Jano Inside show. I asked Neil about two midfielders who are being linked with moves to Liverpool. We've got Mason Mount of Chelsea and Ruben Neves of Wolverhampton Wonders, both been yet reported to be interested in moves to Liverpool or Liverpool interested in making moves for them. Go and check it out right now. Here is a clip of me and Neil from that very show. Absolutely, yeah, right then. Moving on, part of that midfield overhaul we were speaking about, a couple of links again or a couple of updates on stories. So, we spoke a couple weeks about Neil about Mason Mount and there was pretty genuine interest from pretty reliable source about Liverpool sniffing around Mason Mount and you explained you know, it isn't the first time they've done this. The latest reports this week was that his latest contract talks with Chelsea have gone nowhere. Stalemate, I think was the, was the term. He's he's after a bit maybe a bit more money or a bit more understanding of where Chelsea are going. Obviously Chelsea have gone out and spent a lot of money on a lot of lads who play in a similar position to him. I mean like a lot of money. Um, broke world record transfers and stuff in the field. So yeah, there's. There's a lot going on at Chelsea, but it does feel like this one. You mentioned in the past the way I love the way you know an opportunistic signing. Yeah, it feels like Mason Mount getting to this summer where he'll be into a final year Probably of a contract. Yeah. If if he hasn't done something by then, I know Chelsea are very unorthodox now. They act, but even them, you would think would say, right, it's now or never. You'd either go now because we can cash in. We are not losing someone who's, who could make us fifty million quid yeah. for for no money whatsoever. So it does feel like. Like this one may have something coming towards the, when we get towards the summer. That this might be something that we're speaking about more often. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I, I think you're right. That there's no way Chelsea are going to let him run his contract down. You know, you look at what they've spent. You look at the the way that they've done it. They are going to need to sell some players for good money. And you know, they, they've got assets. Obviously, they've got you know Lukaku is still out on loan at the moment. I think they're obviously going to try and sell him. I think ZX is going to get sold. At the, end of the, <laughs> the fax machine work, the yes. machine work whatever it was. Yeah. Pulisic, I think, will be will be sold. They've got Hudson Odoi. I think South Conor Gallagher. Conor Gallagher. Off. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would be amazed. If, you know, Aubameyang is going to leave and, and get off the wage bill. Probably not sold. Probably going to let him go. But you know, I wouldn't be amazed if if they cashed in on Koulibaly. You know, who's not really worked out. You know, players that but players that. I haven't been brought in really by this, you know, this this ownership. I know Koulibaly is an exception in that sense, but they having a, a homegrown player who's cost them nothing, who's not on massive wages by all accounts. I think it's under a hundred thousand a week. I'll say that not on massive wages. <laughs> I'll take it. Um, but he's not. He's not one of the big earners of the club. I think that's what he wants to be. He wants to be one of the, the top end. He's not one of the big earners, so you're not. 
the outlay that Chelsea have put into to this player isn't huge. They could potentially cash in, you know, like you say, 40, 50 million. I think an England international player who's, who's won the Champions League, you know, been, been a big part of the club. It, it would be appealing if he hasn't agreed a new new contract. Um, I mean, there was a link this morning, wasn't there, or yesterday? I think that they were they were asking to be kept abreast of um, Bellingham situation, which I don't think that does much for Mason Mount's chances if, if Chelsea were looking at, at signing him. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think I think we'll hear a lot more about this, and it doesn't. I think it was it was expected previously that he he would get the new contract. I think, I think it was talking about a sort of a seven eight year contract. Um, at the club and really making them a symbol of, of the new Chelsea and that looks like it's gone awry um, and I think we said on a previous show didn't we he might just be one of those players that for for his own sake might just get to the point where it's like ah, I could probably do it a bit you know, he, he seems to get a lot of criticism from Chelsea fans online certainly you know managers keep picking them but people don't seem to like that um, he might just be one of those who thinks do you know what the time's right I, I, I'm ready to you know a little bit Different sort of circumstances, but a little bit like Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain at, at Arsenal, you know, previously, where it was like, it always felt like, he, oh, he might just become, you know, the sort of the real star of the show at Arsenal. He never quite did it, and then it got to a year, and it was like, you know what, actually, I think my career will benefit from a change in scenery and, and a new new um, challenge, if you want to call it that. He might just be in the same circumstance, so I think one to keep an eye on, definitely. It, the flip side on again, just to go look at it, it's like, he want, he's, he, basically, yeah, he wants to... Uh, He's an England international. He plays every single game, so he wants paying that because he's, he's probably seen all these lads walking in the door, like twenty of them or whatever mm. they've signed and gone. Why are they all on much more, more more money than I am? I, I suppose the other point would be well, if Liverpool on the Liverpool gonna have to make him that kind of offer as well, and it's whether they see him in that in that light as is he is he worth making? You know, is he a superstar sign? Who you, who you, yeah. you give that two hundred grand a week or whatever to? Because that's a decision that he, I don't know that they would have to make because you're guessing that would be the kind of stuff he'd be looking for. Yeah, possibly. I mean, I suppose Ox- I imagine Oxley Chamberlain's on decent decent money. You've catered obviously um, in that position. So you, you're losing those those wages yep. in, in amongst that. Jude Bellingham might be taking both of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Um, but you, you know. If if he's the player you want, or if he's a player that you want, then yeah, you, you when you move clubs, you you tend to have to pay, you know, more in terms of wages than than maybe a club that was going to keep keep the player would, would pay. But I, I by all accounts, I think it's I think it's seventy five thousand a week. I'm sure that I've seen that that figure put out. You know, it it doesn't have to be. <laughs> if Liverpool want to double his wages, that doesn't make makes amount. It makes him a, a, a decent high earner, but it does make him the sort of a, a, a structure busting sort of yep. earner at Liverpool. So they can still sort of give him a very tempting offer and a very good salary without, you know, going to Mo Salah territory. Yeah, absolutely. We'll keep an eye on the on the Mason Mount one. I want to, I want to speak to you about Ruben Neves now. Um, so the report in Spain, obviously, he's been linked with moves away from Wolves. It looks like at this this might be the time where Ruben Neves gets a move away from Wolves. Yeah. He scored against us, which might have boosted his transfer fee, but everyone scores against us, so, so, <laughs> so maybe it didn't. But yeah, the report in Spain was that Barcelona have shown an interest in him, um, but also Liverpool, Man United and Newcastle, so there's a lot of teams sniffing around him. It, fe- it feels like it might be a little bit agent-led, this, in terms of trying to get him a move away from Wolves, finally. We know Liverpool have been interested in his teammate as well. Um, yeah, Mateus Nunes. Nunes, which maybe, I don't know if that complicates things or, not, or whatever, for, especially in terms of Neves trying to get out to Wolves if they're already losing another one, but... This lad, he's, he's been someone who's under contract till 2024, so again, there's, there's decisions to be made on him when it comes to the summer. Again, another one where you probably don't want to let him go into a final year, really. But 
Does that? I I can't quite see the fit. If nothing else, mm. I think he's a good player. But personally, I just I don't see him fitting in at Liverpool. Yeah, I'm the same. Uh, unless he were to sell Fabinho, say, and, and and go down a little bit of a different route. I mean, obviously on the her, a sort of a, a looming shadow is Wolves could go down, couldn't he? So that would that would obviously he would definitely have to be sold if Wolves were relegated. I think I think they will stay up, but they're still in in that mix. Um, I think he's, I do think he's a good player. He's he's one of those players that he's he's a really good footballer, isn't he? In, in the sense of you know, he, if you're not on it, he can he can play around you, and he's got a nice range of passing, and he's smart. And, you know, I, I haven't seen him do that too many times that he did it against Liverpool. But you know, when you're two 0 up and sort of playing against Liverpool at that point, maybe you can you can afford to push the boat out a bit. Um, you're right, yeah. I don't. I'm not sure about the fit because he's a deep line midfielder. He's a he's a range passer, isn't he? He's someone who's you know spectacular shots from outside the box and you know diagonals and that kind of thing. And Liverpool sort of use Trent for that kind of you know change of of, of play or to use the centre backs. Don't do it. Van Dijk plays. Um, so I'm not 100% sold on that. Obviously, his agents, George Mendes, has a lot of Wolves players' agents. Um, I think Nunes is a more, Mateus Nunes, that is, is a, is a more um, live target in, in that sense. But I, you'd expect, I mean, if it, it, he probably feels like a little bit like someone like James Ward Prowse and Wilfred Zaha. He feels like a player who's probably been there a bit, a, a year too long or, or, or more. You know, it feels like, I don't want to say, Suspicious, but I I always was thinking, why haven't you moved? You know, like sort of, why why are you James Ward? Why are you still there? Why are you still there? Why are you still there? Yeah, you know, and it's, let's say James Madison stayed another year at Leicester, you'd be like, mm, what's what's missing there? You know, what what are clubs what are clubs sort of not seeing there? Why why have you been allowed? You know, and he does feel like that. It does feel like this summer is probably the the la- not the last chance, but the, the the summer you'd say, well, come on, mate, you've got to move now, like you know. You've done you've done enough time there at Molyneux. Been a very good player for them. Their captain, um, you know, led them in the up to up and then kept kept them in the Premier League for for a number of years. So he's he's a good player. But yeah, I'm I'm not especially with Bicetic emerging and and that kind of you know if you can get Fabinho back playing, I'm not sure there's a great need for a player like Neves. I think there's a greater need for a player like Nunes or Mount or you know more of a runner. A more of a sort of a, an engine as opposed to a you know a, a, a Xabi Alonso sort of style player who, who who sits deep and you know dictates the game that that kind of way. So um, we'll see, but yeah, I, I'd be I'd be naturally sort of mm, okay. I'm not sure. He's another one who we spoke about Mason Mount before. He's another one. Ruben Neves, like he's younger than you think because you've been playing for yeah, him. He's only twenty five. Twenty five. Like, yeah. He's he's he falls into the Mason Mount category because you've seen him since he was a kid. <laughs> you're thinking, oh, he must be getting on a bit now, and actually, no, he's probably getting to the, what what is the prime of his career. All these reports coming out now. It, again, there was talk that he nearly moved a couple of years ago, and it, it, Arsenal was sniffing around at one point and stuff. But this, it, it does feel like yeah, like there's, there's someone trying to engineer with Mendes or whatever, trying to engineer a move for him and. It meant people like if Wolves are going to have to sell him, and this could be Wolves living like they they want to boost that price up as, as best you can. It, it feels a little bit more of that than than actual anything of real substance in terms of Liverpool at least. Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. I, I listen. I haven't heard anything that I, I've asked about Neves in the past, not 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 particularly recently. But he's obviously been he's a name that whenever Liverpool are sort of linked with midfielders, he does 
he's he sort of you know if you ever do one of them things where it's like ten midfielders Liverpool could buy, he's probably a decent one to just throw in and say, well, <laughs> River Nevers is a wolf. Um, he, I've always I've always been given a sort of a not for us, you know, in the past that is, um, and I, I understand I, I understand why for the reasons we just discussed. Um, but we'll see, you know. Listen, if if, if Wolves go down, then he's going to go somewhere. You'd imagine cheap, um, with a year left on his deal. And I, think he's and, going to Newcastle. I, I just I can yeah. see, just screams Newcastle. But, uh, yeah, a little bit again, a little bit. You know, you look at him, Bruno Gimarias, and they've, you know, I mean, Longstaff's doing really well for for Newcastle, isn't he? You know, possibly, possibly. I mean, I don't. United doesn't feel like a. United doesn't feel like the move for him. You know, linked with that, it, Barcelona, yeah, possibly, but you know. They've got some good midfielders, Barcelona. They're doing all right, aren't they? Yeah, um, I don't know. It's difficult, but I don't know. Liverpool doesn't. Liverpool doesn't jump out as one that's saying, "Ah, he he'd sort of go right into that Liverpool team." You know, anyone would go right into that Liverpool team the way they've been playing recently. But if you're talking about people, a Liverpool team that's functioning and on form and 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 really playing well, it's hard to see a Ruben Neves sort of type player um, without changing an awful lot else around it. Yeah, if Liverpool are going to sign a Wolves midfielder, you think it might be his mate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's I mean he's been playing sort of a bit further forward, hasn't he? Almost almost off the left. Um, Liverpool could do with a few players who play off the left. <laughs> <laughs> Not all, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just join the stable. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I do think he his sort of profile, if you want to call it that, as a, as a skill set, I do think that suits Liverpool a little bit better than than, than a Neves. But I've been wrong before. I, I didn't think Liverpool would go after Luis Diaz a year ago. Cody Gakpo's in this boat. Cody Gakpo, yeah, didn't I mean. We didn't really talk about him, did we? In in the, the sort of start of the derby game, but what a good, what a good second half in particular we saw from him. First time I think we've seen sort of okay. I think I saw I heard Jamie Carragher sort of say on commentary when I watched it back. He said, "Now he's got his goal. Now we're starting to see what he's about almost." And and I, I, hopefully again we see him build on that. But yeah, Neves is I you know want to what have we got? We got the. Got the probable, the probable maybes and the, the probably nots. I'd put them in the probably not. Yeah. Hey guys, hope you enjoyed that clip. Yeah, Mason Mount and Ruben Neves. If you want to watch the entirety of Journal Insight this week, head on over to redmenplus.com right now. And what I'll do for you is I will make you a little deal. So if you go over there, sign up as a Redmen Plus club captain on a monthly subscription. When you get to the payment screen, if you enter the code Neves, N-E-V-E-S, we will give you that subscription for 99p a month for the first three months. So rather than a five a month, 99p a month for the first three months. Absolute bargain. Go and get yourselves over there, redmenplus.com, and check out the entire episode of Journal Insights. See you in a bit. Thanks to me and thanks to Neil. Yeah, nice one. Hope you enjoyed that clip. Right then, moving on, it's Experts Insights time. Each and every week, Dan Club gets in touch with an expert in a particular field and gets their thoughts and more importantly their insight and their actual knowledge from people who know exactly what they're talking about. This week, Dan spoke to Mark Carey. Mark is a data analyst for The Athletic. Mark, thank you very much for joining me. How are you doing, mate? You good? Good, yeah. Thanks for having me on. Cheers. Oh, no problem at all. It's our pleasure. Yeah, we're here. Like I said, we're going to talk about Will Spearman and also data uh, in football as it's becoming more and more prevalent, of course, in the modern day, it seems. And Liverpool have been at the forefront of that, I think it's fair to say, for quite a while now. Um, and obviously, Will Spearman's promotion is into the role of Director of Research um, ahead of the departure of Dr Ian Graham, which was announced earlier on this season. He's leaving the club at the end of this season. So, 
Yeah, let's, let's start from the start, really. Um, Spearman has been working as the lead data scientist at Liverpool for some time. I think March 2018, he joined the club, I might say. Um, is this, or will this, be an easy transition for him into this new role? I'd say so. I mean, I think it is important to to kind of promote from within, yeah. given the, the given how successful Liverpool have been over the years. It, it's it's always good to have kind of fresh faces, but kind of within that director of research role of kind of leading things up, I think it's almost like the boot room style that Liverpool have obviously been paying yeah. for. It's good to kind of have that uh, initially, and then I'm sure that they'll bring someone else in. They may even promote within to to make you know a lead data scientist um, from mm-hmm. someone who's already at the club as well. But I think yeah. they'll. They'll find a, a recruitment um, a member to to recruit in some role to to add to to the team, but I think that it does make a lot of sense given, as you say, how much experience he has from from working in and around the club for such a long time. Mm. Um, I imagine it would be kind of more of the same. Really, he he's obviously very well versed in the statistical models and and his contribution in that regard, which I'm sure we'll come on to. Yeah, um, but I think it will just probably be more of the same, but just kind of overseeing the the operations as much as anything. Yeah, absolutely. And it's nice to have somebody who doesn't need to be shown the ropes, if you like. When it comes to the football club and the workings and the ins and outs, he can very much step into that breach, you would imagine, and hope. And it's, I think it's actually what Liverpool hoped for when appointing from within with Julian Ward taking over the sporting director for Michael Edwards. He's also leaving the end of the season, of course, so it hasn't potentially worked out like they might have hoped. Um, is promotion from within commonplace in this sort of role, would you say then? Do you think it's you, you alluded to it there, it's clearly the better option, but is it the most regular option that clubs tend to take? Yeah, I'm not too sure in terms of from a data perspective. I'm not too sure necessarily. I mean, it's it's a growing um, part of the, the game within football clubs. So I think mm-hmm. a, lot of, a lot of Premier League clubs even now still have kind of one-man bands or one-woman okay. bands in terms of small uh, data departments who sometimes are just a single person. So I think mm-hmm. Liverpool, as you alluded to at the start, are kind of leading in that regard to have multiple people within their yeah. team so in terms of kind of yeah promoting within it would be a, an expansion often from from a single person in a lot of clubs so Liverpool have a luxury in that regard that they're able to to choose from so many different people but I think you make a good point about the maybe the disruption going on with obviously Michael Edwards leaving Julian Ward's about to leave I think he's just um finishing his, his notice isn't yeah. it that this is the time to to have something that's you know a settled team as much as possible. So again, I think it's important in that regard to to at least keep things as as calm as you can, given as you say that Liverpool aren't exactly going through the, the easiest time at the moment. No, I think that's putting it mildly as well, to be honest with you, Mark. Um, yeah, and it's it is nice. It's so strange because normally such backroom roles you wouldn't almost place so much importance on them, but there is so much upheaval at Liverpool, and also. Jurgen Klopp has been at pains to sort of credit the people behind the scenes for our success, that even when the announcement, which should be as almost as minor as this one, like Will Spearman getting promoted, that shouldn't be a story in the in the circles of Liverpool, but it is. Do you think, this is a bit off, off-piste really in terms of my agenda, do you think that just shows the importance and how important this data science model is becoming and how pivotal it's been to Liverpool, I guess, moreover? Do you think that shows just how crucial it is? I'd say so. I think, it, as you say, it's it's something where, from speaking with the the guys at Liverpool, I've had you know the the fortune to be able to chat with some of them at conferences and things like that. And I know that they're, they're such lovely guys, first and foremost, but they don't like to to be in the the spotlight, and yes. rightly so. That they they obviously like to contribute towards the success of the team, but they don't want to take all of the credit yeah. themselves because they're not the ones who are 
obviously on the pitch themselves, but I think internally Liverpool, all members of staff at Liverpool know just how important yeah. data is in that regard from a from a tactical perspective of just how much throughout the season they, you know, you can inform what's going on on the pitch, but obviously recruitment being key to that of all of the the coups that Liverpool have got in terms of, you know, straight after the Champions League final getting Fabinho, who not mm-hmm. many people would tell him to be the player that he's obviously then gone on to become, um, players like Diogo Jota, etc. Yeah. Um, people, it's these statistical models that kind of shine a light on added value mm-hmm. where maybe others wouldn't, you know, a lot of clubs around Europe would go for the, the shiny player that everyone's talking about. And that's yeah. where Liverpool obviously had the edge financially as much as anything to operate in a in a way that will, you know, optimise their finances. And mm. I think it definitely doesn't go unnoticed from within. And as you say, it's starting to go more noticed externally as well. And yeah. these these people, these members of staff are actually getting the credit that they deserve. As you say, the likes of William Spearman from 2018, I think Ian Graham, you know, a couple of years even further than that. So yeah. talking about seven, eight years worth of hard work going towards Liverpool's success, arguably the most well, one of the most successful periods in in a couple of decades, at least. Oh yeah, absolutely. No two ways about that. And it is, it is fascinating how we are learning the names of these people more and more. And and it just goes to show. I mean, I guess from a Liverpool perspective, like you touch upon there, it has been so important to our success because we haven't exactly spent the money of some of our rivals. So sort of gaining their marginal advantages and being smart about your recruitment and looking at things in a slightly different way has been absolutely pivotal. Um, and looking at things in a different way is something that William Spearman seems to have done throughout his career. Um, just on him a little bit more generally, he's an American Harvard Uni graduate. He worked for a performance analysis company, Huddle, I think I might say it. Um, and he transferred his passion for American football into I want to say soccer, but I'm not. I'm going to say football, <laughs> into football. Um, he had a PhD in physics, and he also worked for the European Organization of Nuclear Research um, before joining Liverpool's research department in March 2018. Liverpool, I think part of their success, Mark, under the FSG tenure, if you like, has been a point in best in class. Does he fit into that category, I guess, is the simple way of asking the question. Yeah, it's a simple answer. He, yes, he, he absolutely does. I mean, the, the CV that he's got, you just listed it there, that there's there's fewer people qualified um, to be in, in the lead data scientist position that he obviously had for yeah. a long period of mind, the director of research. So, I, do you know, as well, I think it's a real advantage that it, from what I understand from speaking to him and seeing interviews and things, that he's grown to, to love football, but I don't mm-hmm. think he was a football fan or a mad Liverpool fan from a young age. I think that's fair to say, but I think that's a massive advantage okay. in that there's, there's that element of objectivity. Of course, you're going to, in statistical analysis, you're going to have an objective view on things, but I think mm-hmm. almost coming at it from a perspective that he sort of finds, I've seen interviews with him, he finds the sort of the patterns of space and um, his model pitch control, which yeah. maybe we can come on to yeah. um, really fascinating in that regard from a physics perspective and having that, you know that perspective that isn't led by I just want my team to win on a on a yeah. weekend is a real advantage because you can take out that emotion and really think how can we optimize space how can we optimize you know recruitment and, and finances etc. Mm-hmm. Um, so from an objective perspective, as I say, I think that there's there's few people better qualified in that regard. Yeah, it certainly seems to be the case. And as you mentioned there, his pitch control model sort of is. I don't want to say career-defining because his career is still ongoing, but it kind of took him to the place he is now. It was seen as pioneering. He's been described as a new breed of data scientist as well. Just explain to myself and, of course, our viewers and listeners exactly what that model was because 
I've seen it featured on Training Ground Guru as well. It's a mm. sort of heralded um, invention, if you like, of his now. So just explain to us what what, what it's all about. I'll do my best because um, yeah, it's quite a tricky one to sort of um, explain sort of verbally because it is uh, intrinsically quite quite useful to see visually. But um, mm-hmm. I mean, I'll kind of read out the quote as well that he says. He says it's the probability that a player can control the ball assuming it was at that location. So essentially it's splitting up the, the pitch and looking at it kind of heat maps of regions of that pitch that the team um, mm-hmm. or a player at any one point versus their opponent are in control of. So it's using physics and statistics to to say that okay if the ball was to be in a certain place on the pitch within the next few seconds who would be the first player or which team would be the the one to to dominate that space and get to the ball first and obviously Mm -hmm. the more pitch that you control the more dominant you are um you know within the game so again i think that's where at the the tactical level on a game by game level it's really useful to see how you can maximize you know control of the pitch against the opponent but it can also look at an individual level using things like off ball movement off ball runs to see which player is kind of adding value Mm -hmm. to a certain move to a certain action within the game from from the team outside of your own team to look at it from a recruitment perspective who is that player who's adding value that you might not necessarily see in your typical event data as you say so things like shots and passes yeah. obviously um above and beyond that how can we actually look at, at the value of a player and that's how uh, as i mentioned before liverpool do get the edge in that regard by kind of looking far more under the bonnet than than the sort of the typical data that we we see you know on the tv thanks to dan and thanks to mark for that one right then newcastle on the horizon this very weekend a huge game for liverpool yeah, if they want to get themselves back in that top four race, really, they probably need to go to St. James's Park and win. Newcastle are obviously flying at the moment. They're having a really, really great season. A little bit of a wobble, to be fair, but they've got a cup final on the horizon. They're currently in the top four. They've got loads and loads of money to spend. They've got loads of good players, a good manager as well. So, yeah, Steve Plunkett for Opposition Preview this week spoke to Lee Ryder, journalist extraordinaire, covers Newcastle. He's been covering them through the good times and through the bad times. And, yeah... Here is what Lee had to say about Newcastle and this week's upcoming games. Newcastle's a completely different proposition. How's things for you? What are your thoughts on on all things Newcastle so far this season and in particular the, the game that's coming at the weekend? Yeah, I mean it's it's crazy really. We haven't we haven't lost the Premier League game since Liverpool inflicted that injury time defeat on us in August and the season really has been everything you you could ask for you know no no more defeats in the premier league since then that just the one defeat uh we've only conceded 13 goals which is very unlike newcastle because traditionally we have a have been regarded as a team with a sort of dodgy defense down the years and we've been absolutely rock solid at the back um so no no problems on that score in the league in, in with a shout of the champions league place which is beyond our beyond what anybody expected this season. No one was expecting probably not even a European push, let alone Champions League push. So that that's all positive. And then the big thing is obviously reaching the Carabao Cup final, which uh, is, is amazing for, for Newcastle. We haven't been to a final for 24 years. So a uh, chance to, to win, win a trophy, but I think everybody knows we need to improve uh, a little bit in the build-up to that game against... Um, Man United. 
Yeah, so so obviously you went through a real purple patch in the season where you, you went in home and away. And just of late, perhaps dropped a little bit of the impetus of Manchester United as a result of stretched away a little bit into third place. And obviously the result last night has, has absolutely played them into a, a title uh, race. Um, what What's the reason behind that? Why do you think Newcastle just dropped off a little bit because it was going so, so well, wasn't it? And then, and then in the last couple of weeks, perhaps not as the results that you were looking for? Um, well, we've we've kind of reverted to what we were doing at the start of the season, which was draw, drawing a lot of games. Um, so not getting beat, but picking up a point. Um, and, and we've done that five times out of the last six Premier League outings. So that's probably why we have slipped off a little bit. I mean, my, my I watched the Man City-Arsenal game last night and my feelings were we could really be in this title race had we not drew so many games. But it's hard to, to level any criticism at Newcastle because um, they're punching above the weight really this season. What yeah. what, I, mm-hmm. what I expected, I, I was expecting, you know, probably a mid-table season and possibly a cup run, which we've got the cup run, more than a cup run, getting to the final. And um, we're, we're in a good commanding position going in that last 15 games. So, Look, for me, I think Newcastle will get into Europe, but it's going to be which competition is it? Uh, we'd love it to be the, the Champions League, but um, it's funny, I was talking to one of the players after the Bournemouth game, Fabian Shaw, and um, I said, look, do you think that now you've got your Man Cities and your, your Liverpools going into the sort of spring, the European sort of time, uh, European participants... Is that going to make a big difference? And I, I was expecting to say, yeah, it will, because we'll have three weeks and those teams won't. But he said, to be fair, he was respectful about it. He said, look, teams like Liverpool, they're used to playing in Europe, they're used to being in the Champions League, they're used to the short turnaround, and uh, he doesn't see it as being a big difference. It's going to boil down to quality. And I think, personally, I think Liverpool's quality will shine through in that last third of the season. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, we're getting some bodies back now, particularly up front. Uh, Joss is back in the mix, Van Dijk's back in the mix, Diaz isn't far away. Um, I think if we can get a situation where we can play Diaz, Jota and Salah in games, our pressing in the front three will return because at the moment uh, Nunes and Gakpo don't do that in the way that Klopp would like and it sort of unhinges the system a little bit. So yeah, I think um, yeah, it's, it's it's pretty you're right. We, we are used to playing it every three days. We, we thrive off the intensity. So when we did the things that we did winning the European Cup and winning the league, the games come in every three days were a help because it keeps you focused, it keeps you motivated, it keeps up your momentum and we were strong. It's it's not playing the World Cup probably didn't do us a favour. Some of our players don't look like they've had a break. Um, but obviously the Everton game at the weekend, sorry, midweek, allows us to remember what it's like to win a game. That's been tough for Liverpool, certainly in 2023. That is indeed our first win of 2023. I think from my, my perspective, going to Newcastle, as you pointed out before, defensively really strong. You've got a goalkeeper that isn't a fancy fancy goalkeeper. He does exactly what he's expected to do. He's very effective. I think he's got the most clean sheets in the Premier League this season. So if you look across your back four, I mean, Kieran Trippier is obviously a name that springs out. They're just really organised, really effective defenders. They're not big-time Charlies. They're not massive names in world football. They're just, it's a really, really good, effective unit. And I think Eddie Howe takes a lot of credit for that. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I agree with everything you've said there almost. And, I mean, 
Kieran Trippier is is as you say a key key figure in this um, in this team because he's come in, he's organised it, he's been the captain in every game. Um, when the you know, I'll, I'll give I'll give you a small quick example. We obviously we played Tranmere away in the League Cup early rounds. Uh, Eddie Howe decided to rest a few players. One of our defenders got injured. We were getting beat one 0 off Tranmere, believe it or not. And uh, Trippier came on as sub. Um, within minutes, he'd won a free kick. Within seconds, they'd equalised from the free kick, and Newcastle went on to win the game. The first half an hour of that game, they were all over the place. It looked like it was going to be a real shock on the Wirral. Tramia uh, beating Newcastle, but Trippier comes on and reorganised it. And he, he's one of the key men. Nick Pope's another one. Um, he's surpassed everyone's expectations, replaced the popular Martin Dubravka in goal. He's been brilliant um, this season. But you know, I could I could probably name other examples. Joe Linton, Bruno, who's suspended for this game. And then you've got, you know, people like um Miguel Almiron, who's having the season of his life, getting into double figures. And he's been a key man. He's gone off the boil a little bit in recent weeks. Um back at it at the weekend, scoring a goal, but he's had a little bit of a rut. And uh, it's good to see him back on the on the score sheet. So there's there's so many positives around this team. Um as you say, they're not they're not a team um, of, of huge names. They're a team that um, are punched above the weight. That's that's what I said said earlier. And in games, the, there has been a bit of sort of gamesmanship. Newcastle have been that. That's what the problem was at Anfield. That's that's why it boiled over. So I think you're going to be up against a team who who know how to to deal with the big teams and try to run the clock down where they need to. They need to take the sting out of the game. They will. Uh, and I think it'll be a, a very uh, intriguing contest on Saturday night. Yeah, interesting. And you mentioned the name there, Miguel Almiron, who has gone from being someone who promised to deliver to not really hitting any form, any type of consistency or any real form. This season, he's been a real inspiration and he's often been the guy that's turned games or won games for you. What would you put that down to? Well, it's it's really interesting. It was Rafa Benitez, who I know you know very well, um, signed Almiron, and the reason he signed him was because he wanted Newcastle to have a bit more of an attacking edge. Uh, it didn't happen for him um, when Rafa was there. It wasn't through anyone to try, and it was just the player didn't settle in. Um, then Steve Bruce come in, and Steve Bruce was getting bits and pieces from him, um, but he wasn't hitting top form. Uh, we knew he was a player. Uh, but I think under Eddie Howe, what he's done is he's uh, he's reduced the emphasis on uh, the defensive demands of, of an attacking player. Yeah. And he's playing with a smile on his face. He's still doing all the defensive work, don't get me wrong. But I don't think he's getting it rammed down his throat as much. And I think he's been encouraged to, to get on the ball more, take a shot more, um, just do little... Just little extra things and Eddie Howe got an arm around him and he's certainly getting the best out of him. To have 10 goals um, with still a good chunk of the season to go is a very special um, a very special achievement for him. And the good th- good thing with Amiron is I think fans love him. He's a quiet lad. He's unassuming. But he's also, he's not one of these players who you'll see going on Instagram, you know, having the big nights out or being in fancy restaurants. He just wants to take his uh, his little boy to the park with with his missus, go for a coffee. He's very 
very um, quiet lad, and um, when he's on the pitch, he really makes it count. So that's why he's such a, a crowd favourite of you. Yeah, thanks to Steve and thanks to Lee as well. Yeah, obviously the chief Newcastle writer for the Chronicle. Lee knows what he's talking about, so you do want to listen when he speaks. Right then, final clip I've got for you this week. It's another deep dive. It's Chris Pajak. It is Josh Williams at Distance Covered. The lads are experts. They love the stats. They love the tactics. They love the analytics and everything in between. You guys have really, really taken to this show. As have I, I've learned loads and loads and loads of stuff. Let's learn some more with this week's clip from the deep dive. Today we are going to be talking about Will Spearman, the soon-to-be director of research at Liverpool Football Club. I've got Josh Williams with me as always. Um, Will Spearman, currently the lead data analyst at Liverpool. He's been here since 2018, Josh. He's a really interesting fella to di- like dive into, I suppose, isn't he? And that you know, there's quite a lot of stuff of him talking on the internet. There's videos that he's done. I would recommend watching them. Mm. Um, there's papers that he's written um, that you can try and understand if you want because the, the the paper that I I was trying to read I, I lost my head on it big time like and like it's just fucking physics and, yeah. it, and it's like how does this correlate to football and it's like all these mad signs it's so like something out of goodwill hunting do you know what I mean then he's writing on the boards and you're like oh yeah of course yeah yeah why, why isn't that the case? But as someone who's interested in this type of stuff, I tried to plod through, fuck me. It's really difficult and just yeah. way over my head. And it's far, He's obviously far, 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 far cleverer than I am, whatever <laughs> will be. But, like, fucking hell. Like, it, 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 is, it, is, it is fascinating. And mm. I suppose to start with Will Spearman's story, we really need to talk, again, go back, much like we did at the first show, actually, this week, is we need to understand what role he's taken over yeah. and who, I suppose, Ian Graham is, the current director of research at Liverpool Football Club. So what do you know about... Ian Graham. Yeah, well, we did a show, didn't we, a few months ago about Ian Graham. I think I appeared on as a, like a Zoom kind of guest. Um, but Ian Graham is Liverpool's current director of research, and he's been in that role for over a decade now. When he first was appointed at the club, Liverpool didn't have a data science department. He was the first scientist mm-hmm. to be appointed by the club, and to an extent, really, the first scientist to get involved in football. Um, As a former, what was he, physics, polymer physics wasn't for him. He was quoted <laughs> yeah. as saying in my research. Yeah, well, this is a, f- a common theme with the, with these scientists. Usually they kind of get PhDs and things like that, and then they realise that academia isn't for them. And they want to go and kind of deconstruct an unanswered problem. And if you look at football as a problem, it's just a random baffle in sport, isn't it? You know, things can just happen. It's not like baseball where everything's like plays. dedicated set, pay, yeah. set plays. It's just such a random sport. So Ian Graham was kind of brought on by FSG mainly because based on what they've done in, in America, in Boston, with the Boston Red Sox, it was all through like Moneyball and things like that, statistics, using evidence to sign players rather than just cliche lines. Like, have you seen the scene in Moneyball? Yeah. Where they're just talking about like a, a, a hitter's jawline and the, what his bird looks like and things like that as a reason to buy him. Liverpool wanted much more evidence than that. FSG wanted much more evidence than that. And Ian Graham, since like 2005 really, had been kind of assessing players, not according to what he saw with his eyes, but the, the players' value um, in terms of points 
over the course <coughs> of the season, what a player is worth to his team in terms of points. Um, is this why, sorry to interrupt, is this why Liverpool spent so much on the goalkeeper? In Alisson, I think it is, yeah, yeah. And that's why Liverpool spent so much on Virgil van Dijk. Because um, to some that looks crazy. Yeah. But actually, on a player-by-player -player basis, the goalkeeper might be the biggest increase in points that Liverpool had available to them. Exactly. Because yeah, we had yeah. a fucking dodgy goalkeeper who was shipping in goals for fun too after match three. Um, <laughs> and then you move, you, you spend what you need to spend. It, do you know what I like to liken it to? Because I've, I've heard Will Spearman talk about this and I've read quotes from him and I've, had, I've read Ian Graham and stuff. When I went to Africa on my honeymoon, this is a stretch, like I, I admit. <laughs> I didn't I, expect you to right, say that. <laughs> so when I went to Africa on my honeymoon, they have a bartering like, culture okay. over there and it's completely alien to me. There's prices the fucking price. And what I realised is I hate bartering. So I would walk in and I would go, I think it's worth that much in my head and that's what I'll pay. And they're like, okay, sounds. I'm like, shit, I've gone well over the top there. <laughs> but it didn't matter to me because yeah. what, it, what they valued that was much lower than mine. But what I value it, what's important. And I think Liverpool have a value for a player yeah. that if it's in line with what their club is asking, they have no problem yeah. signing them for that amount of money. Well, th this is where the data science comes in because... Historically, you've had scouts, right? Scouts are deemed to be experts when it comes to player analysis and things like that, and they might be. But if you were to say to any scout, right, tell me about, I mean, let's, let's use his name. I'd, I'd try to avoid his name, but let's say Duke Bellingham, right? Yeah, tell I mean, me, you're tell doing a terrible job. <laughs> like we've done, we've mentioned him in every single show, I reckon. I know, he's my phone screen, I think. My phone cover screen. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if you say to a scout, describe you Bellingham, why is he good? You know, why should we buy him? They'll talk about what he's good at and the fact that he's a leader and he's captain of Borussia Dortmund and all this stuff. Great jawline. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But if you were to say to that scout, right sound, how many points is he going to be worth to us? The scout will just, it'll just be a blank stare, I don't know. And it'll be, at best, an educated guess. The data science guy would put a number on that based on some kind of algorithm or whatever he's concocted to determine what this player is worth in attack and defence in terms of scoring goals and not conceding goals. And that was what Ian Graham has established for years and years, constructing a data science team, mainly of his basically his mates. Yeah, his mates <laughs> from Wales. They're all Welsh and it's not a coincidence that. Apart from Spearman. Apart from Spearman, who is a bit of a outsourced genius, if you like. Um, the, the, Ian Graham watched him give a talk at the Opta Pro Forum in London in 2016. And at the time, Spearman was talking about his revolutionary new concept. Ball position using spatio-temporal tracking, <laughs> obviously. Because how did we all miss it? I mean, I, I think we, I might have just gone to cinema that week. And there's me missing out on, let me just get those words right again in the right order. Ball positioning using spatio-temporal tracking. Well, Pass me by. It's like when you find out Peter K tickets went on sale on a Friday at 10am and you only woke up at 11. Like, this is how... it was. I was so close to getting tickets to the... Ball position using spatial temporal tracking <laughs> um, talk. 
Cheers, Chris. Cheers, Josh. And thanks to you guys for listening. Yeah, some amazing content there that you've heard. They were only little snippets as well. If you want the entirety of each and every one of those shows in your native podcast app, very, very simple. Head on over to redmenplus.com and sign up. And like I say, if you sign up as a yearly, a yearly club captain, use that weekly code, you'll get it for half price. If you are a Spotify user or listener, and that is the only app you use, well, if you search for Redmen Plus Podcasts in the Spotify app, you can sign up directly through there. Now, we don't control that, so I can't offer you no discounts, I can't offer you no offer codes, but if you sign up through them, you can pay them directly on there, and you too will get all the shows in podcast form in your Spotify app. You don't get the videos, you're going to have to go over to Redmen Plus and subscribe if you want those, but if you are just a staunch Spotify user and it's Spotify or it's nothing else, then yes, you can search for Red Men Plus Spotify, Red, sorry, Red Men Plus Podcast on Spotify, and you can sign up through them if you want. But if I was you, I'd go to redmenplus.com, use that weekly code, get it for cheaper, and get the videos as well. Right then, that's it from me this week. Like I say, hopefully you enjoyed the show. Hopefully you've enjoyed all those clips from some amazing, amazing guests and some amazing, amazing Liverpool fans. Let's have a good weekend. Let's hope we're talking about another win at the end of the weekend. And yeah, I'll see you all soon. Take care, everyone. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com code program.